Storie Libere presents? I must say it's strange because it's only since more or less one year that I got to know a lot of other information, partly through this podcast, solely partly through the other podcasts of Dragon Lady and various um, things I read on social medias that I got to know a lot of information, what happened behind the scenes that I never knew. In those days, when I was young, I think for me, the main reason was, I think I was clearly looking for a group to belong to because I was the last one. I come from a big family and it split up. And then when I was the last one home with my mom, I felt so lonely and we were lived, living like really, it was almost a village. It was still part of this big city, but we were far away and I didn't like the mentality of the people it was more close. And then the Sanya Center provided this free brother-sisterhood where everyone hugged. So Osho was not really, for me, the main person, or Bhagwan, as he was called in these days. And I think now, with all this information I have now, it was more like, for me, a subtle force behind the scenes, because at that time I hadn't seen him yet in person also. I still, I, yeah, it was mainly the this group feeling that I liked. And then there was this picture and Osho talks, which I liked. I liked to listen to his voice. I liked reading it. I thought whatever he said was great. It somehow touched something in me. But it wasn't like he was my guru and I was praying to him because I was also not brought up with this whole uh, system of praying and religion. It was not really a religious thing, even though I was looking for spiritual groups somehow. But it was not a conscious thing that I thought, I have to find a religious leader now or something. Amara enters the Sanyazin community in Germany when she is little more than a teenager. Her parents aren't Sanyazin, and she is left to provide for herself. She lives in a house shared with other Sanyazin, older than her, and she desperately needs money to meet the expectations of the community and to go to the summer festival in Oregon. The party that reunites the Sanyazin all over the world, since Osho has decided to create his ideal city in America, in that plot of land called Rajnishpuram. I am Roberta Lippi, and you're listening to a new episode of Soli, a journey dedicated to the stories and the memories of the children who grew up in Osho's communes, between the beginning of the 70s and the mid-80s. This is the second part of Amara's story. She's not a difficult or problematic girl. She comes from a wealthy family. She has studied, but little by little she gets led along a path suggested to her as if it was something innocent. And without realizing, she finds herself moving from a classroom to a peep show. Even here, soon, things will change. So I continued working in the peep shows when I was 18 and slowly and gradually actually do full-on prostitution in these peep shows, uh, like dancing and men would call me and uh, can you come to the solo box and you would open a window and you would give them a so-called hand job maybe or a blow job, but it was also possible to do full-on sex, which paid the best, of course. And I did that and um, it was not yet the time where uh, the press would talk about AIDS. Sometimes colleagues in the peep show, the girls 
showed me how to do it like this and what the prices were this and that and then they said yeah and if the customer says you he wants to do sex without condom um, he you should charge 50 marks more so it was like 150 or try and get more money and um, so sometimes I did that too so if I think about it now it's just like so crazy and so unhealthy that sometimes if I really feel it, it, it can make me cry because it's, it's just not good. And so Amada risks her own health. AIDS wasn't known at the time. It would make its appearance soon. But certainly several venereal diseases from which one would have to defend herself were around. She does it and does it for money. But in her heart, she knows that this is not the life she wants to live. She has other plans for herself. And then, actually, it was also because, of course, I don't come from a totally fucked up family. There was this intellectual part in me. I wanted to make it to the festival, but there was another part of me that thought, I'm not a dumb girl, and I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this kind of messed up work. I want to also learn a trade and learn a proper profession. I made up my mind. I was looking like in various directions. I had always been doing a lot of creative things. I was into dance. I considered, should I do an official ballet training and go to a ballet school and become a professional dancer? And then I had always been very good at languages. And I decided I'm going to be a foreign language correspondent. So when I was 18, I did this Strange work, but I also enrolled in a, an official uh, training to be a foreign language correspondent. And it was like a business school um, doing business correspondence in um, English, French, and Spanish, doing typing and so on. And I went to that school. And from the summer of 83, I think I was doing my school um, during the daytime, five days a week, and maybe. Three times a week I was working in the peep shows at night or in the weekend. I went to the peep show and I took my homework that I had to do, my vocabulary books. I sat there and I memorized all kinds of stuff I had to learn for school. In between, clients called me and uh, I was on stage doing strip tweets, doing this and that. And then I went home and uh, went, slept and went to school again. Like a double life. And in between, I worked in the Sanya Center also. And I did meditations and uh, dynamic meditation to get rid of like unpleasant feelings. And yeah, that's how it was. In 1983, Amara finally manages to go to the summer festival. She will leave with her two brothers, who are Sanyazin and some friends. They will spend some days in the Rajnish Hotel in Portland to finally reach Rajnishpuram in the Oregon's desert. I remember I was impressed by the vastness of this territory there and the big, uh, you know, land that they had bought. And of course, there had been a lot of promotion also about how fantastic it all was. And it was, it was quite something that the sannyasins who had lived there were able to this city within a short time it, there was a whole infrastructure with these buses etc and there was like a strict check up with 
guards before you could enter your papers were checked and so on but of course i was in red i was young they were not suspicious i remember i went then um the year after in 1984 as well and i think it was then that there were more arms more guns more uh security and that Wagwan was also always escorted by two men with machine guns or women. They had this police force. It's the time when the Sanyazin begin to have issues in America. The hotel where Amara stays is the same where a bomb will be placed. Still today, we don't know why or by who. Perhaps a device conceived by the community itself, a community that feels persecuted and that wants to have hard evidence. What until then seemed like a strange group of hippies begin to show itself as a criminal organization. Maybe this is the reason why, when Amara goes to the second festival, it's Sheila herself welcoming her. That first meeting with Sheila, I do remember, even though I was young, but I thought this woman is strange, crazy somehow. I do remember that. It's not because of everything I heard about her be uh, after and all the yeah, negative stuff you heard about her, that she'd been in prison. But I remember that I found it strange how she talked very aggressively, very hyper, very like, yeah, we're going to, you know, if anybody comes to you, we're going to uh, show them who we are. Like, not nice. So, but uh, yeah, I thought being there was great because also, of course, everyone had told me how great it was. And um, I did uh, like workshops. I had worked so hard to be there and I wanted to spend the money on group therapy because from when I started with Sanya's very soon, I thought I want to be one of these therapists who were like, you know, after Osho, they were also like stars. It was amazing. So I did enjoy workshops in between, of course, every day going to this so-called drive-by where, where Baguan would come with his Rolls Royces and escorted by, you know, pe people patrolling him and protecting him. And there was like helicopters flying also, you know, it's just it such a crazy thing. Um, it was, I do remember sitting there in silence because in this time he didn't speak. And he, um, and it was really like a vibrating silence, beautiful before there was music. And there was like, yeah, it was very special. And it was then, you know, a party in the evening and beautiful food. And um, for thousands of people, it was really like a logistic big thing that people organized there, and they did it very well. Without a doubt, the people at the head of the community had great organizational skills. We've seen it in Diksha's accounts. And the money the Sanyazin gave to the community was needed to keep this enormous structure going. It had become a proper city. It's 1984. Amara has been a prostitute for a few years when suddenly the news that obsesses Osho reaches all the Sanyazin community of the world. AIDS is spreading and people need to be careful. 
I stopped in 1984 because then it was a very clear message from Bhagwan Osho that AIDS is going to hit the world and it's going to be very dangerous. And I stopped then from one day to the next to work to do full-on prostitution. But I actually later on still continue to work in um, peep shows and just do dance or do topless dance, do other stuff that's also not very good for anybody. In her head, Amara wants to finally put into practice what she has learnt in her course as a correspondent and finally put to one side that absurd life. Yet, there's something she hasn't taken into account. But that wasn't all that easy. But looking back, I can see that it had become an addiction because the money in the red light world was so-called very easy money. Of course, it had a big price, but it was quick money. And there was a lot of money you could earn. There was days when I was 18 that I had something like what now would be 500 euros in one day, having had a few clients. And, you know, then if you start to do secretarial work as someone who just started it with no experience, the payment was peanuts. It was very little. So I made a few tries to to work and do a total leader straight life. But um, then, you know, there was always the pull of wanting to go and be in India again. And there was other people I knew who, other women who asked me, hey, I'm working in this peep show and they still need girls. Don't you want to come? And then I had um, made the effort of doing a normal secretarial job, but I didn't last very long. So it was like quite a few years of struggling and trying to leave this world behind, but it wasn't so easy because if you have friends in the Sanya scene and you're used to, you don't know yet how to function work-wise in the normal world, you have to first like establish a way of working and some knowledge and some experience, and I didn't have it yet. And the experience I had was working in this terrible places so yeah it took me after all together I was involved in this world for like eight years until I was 25 and then I met a guy actually in a peep show and we fell in love and then we moved and lived together and um, I was making an effort to drop this whole work scene and looked for a normal straight job in a temping agency for secretaries. And then another friend of mine called and said, hey, why don't you come and work here? And I was telling my boyfriend and he said, are you, are you crazy? You're my girlfriend now. I know I met you in one of these places, but if you're my girlfriend, I don't want you to do this. And it was really puzzling me. I found it a hard, I thought, why does this boyfriend of mine want to tell me what to do? And it was the first time a male figure in my life was telling me that this was not okay. Because I had a boyfriend for a while. He was working in the red light scene himself as a doorman and so on. So there had never been an important male person in my life who said, wait a minute, you're not doing this it's not good for you and I don't want you to do this. So this was the first time and he made me choose. He said, 
either you want to stay with me and be my partner, my girlfriend, and then you drop this shitty work, or you do what you want to do, but I can't be with you. And I'm very thankful for this ex-boyfriend of mine that he put me under pressure because then I chose to stay with him and never do this work again. But yeah, it had been eight years of on and off working in the red light scene, also doing normal work and then back again and not and, and thinking in between, why am I stuck there? I'm not a stupid woman. I'm intelligent. I speak various languages. I learned a trade, but still I'm going back there. And I was, yeah, kind of um, putting myself down sometimes sitting in these horrible places thinking, why can't I get out of here? So it was really not so easy. Over the years, Amara will often question that time of her life and what she has left on her body, wounds more or less visible. I tried to talk about it all with a distant view. I've spoken about it lately with quite a lot of people. I've also, for this particular reason, I found a good therapist, but it's all pretty pretty hardcore, thinking about, especially that I was 17, I had never had some dates with guys, but I had never had a loving relationship, a loving, I had never really had loving sexual experiences. And then I came into the Sanya's world and it was like so normal because money was to be made that so many women did it and friends of mine did it that I and I wanted so much to go to America that I decided, okay, it's not so bad. I can do it. And it's it's actually so, so strange. And so, I don't know, I still have difficulties. I started to do Qigong and there's these exercises where you, where you should breathe into your belly and be aware of your abdominal uh, parts and I can still feel that there's I can't I have difficulty to really feel there because of course being so young and that having that as one of your first sexual experiences to be in these fucked up places and meeting all kinds of men who you don't know and there were many of them it's very it's very disturbing it must have disturbed me completely, but I pushed it all aside. And it's only really entering my consciousness and only now after 40 years, maybe also because it's exactly 40 years ago that I did this. So, yeah, it's pretty disturbing. In 1985, with the collapse of Rajnishpuram, the Sanyasin's diaspora is complete. There's no more festival to go to, but it takes Samara years to get out of the tunnel. She won't stop being a sannyasin. On the contrary, with time, she will travel and hang around European communities. Her dream is to become a therapist. She will study in different European centres and will also spend a long time in Pune too. And so I ask her when she realised she has been an abused child. Happening last year because of what I read in certain social media groups where sannyasin um, were talking about sexual abuse. It was more all the cases, all the people that said that they were abused by older sannyasin, that, that it was like kids who grew up 
whose parents were sannyasins, but they, their friends or something or certain therapists also were in this whole like, yeah, we have all free love and they took advantage of teenage girls. That never happened to me because I actually never lived in a sannyas commune when I was a teenager. But when I read about these sexual abuse stories last year, I, I had been wondering about why I did this um, work in the red light district prostitution before I became aware of all the other sexual abuse that had happened. I actually, ever since I'm, I'm a mother now, and it was the moment that I got pregnant and I had a child growing in my belly. And I told before that I had always had difficulty to really feel my belly. When you have a child growing inside yourself, there's no way around it. You will feel, uh, someone actually told me, you will feel anything that has been repressed so far, any emotions, your hormones are going crazy. And of course, this child grows in your womb. Then was a moment where I had like a first breakdown because I was supposed to do an exercise where you should feel like a pelvic muscles and I just could not feel it. I just really couldn't go there. And then I realized it must have been because of the prostitution. But it was already before when my father was still alive because my father actually knew that I was working in the red light district. I asked him when he was still alive, when I was maybe around 35 or so, I said, listen, you knew I was working in the peep shoes. And he knew, uh, he, he didn't say anything. I said, did you know that I was doing full on prostitution there? And he said, um, I didn't know, but somehow I was guessing. And I said, what's wrong with you? How come you didn't ask, you're my father? Were you not interested? And because he's this esoteric type, he said, look, I had a dream about you in this time and that uh, you were there in the red light district and a lot of men were around you, but you had this like golden aura. You were like in a golden bubble. And this golden light protected you. And then I had this dream and then because you ha I had the dream, I thought you were fine. I was like, I was like when my father told me this, I don't know. I love my father. My father is not a stupid man. Eh? I mean, he, he died now, but it is typical for my father that he would believe in some kind of esoteric dream that he wouldn't have to, like a father who is like playing his normal father role, you would go to your child and say, look, what, what the fuck are you doing? Are you crazy? You come, I take you home. You never go back to any of these places, but he didn't do that. So that was a moment where I knew there was something really unhealthy. Something I vaguely mentioned during this work of mine is that online there's private groups of sannyasin and former sannyasin. Amara has lived unaware of what was happening to her, perhaps sure that she had made her own choice, somehow pushed by the community she frequented. But as she says, last year she started getting in touch with different stories. She has listened to Soli and has listened to Diksha the dragon lady. And suddenly she had a eureka moment, this time real. She decides to write her story in the private sannyasin groups. She calls it my statement. The real full-on realization that I had actually on purpose been 
abused. And when I wrote this statement last year, was because when I read these statements in the Sanya's social media groups about former Sanya's kids being abused by Sanya's and adults, I wrote a comment to somebody and I said, because I had been wondering for so many years how it must have been for other women who did prostitution or work or striptease or this and that. And I've been wanting to, to contact people and find out and exchange with other women who did that in the 80s or 90s. And then I wrote another side of sexual, like strange things that went on in the Sanya scene was that a lot of people, and I know many, were doing uh, prostitution and so on. And then I got a reaction from a woman who had also been involved with it. She told me that um, she was what we called Puna One, so it must have been at the end of the 70s, that she had a friend who was one of those women who went to Bombay regularly. And she knew this woman. And somebody in the Sanya's ashram from the official ashram in Pune in the office said to women when they were desperate and they didn't have money for the ticket home or money for the ticket to stay in Pune or the, the, you know, to sustain this, themselves in Pune, that these women, when they came crying to the office, the front desk, they called it, they were told, like, behind closed doors, like, look, there's so-and-so. She knows someone who knows that you can make a lot of money when you go to Bombay sometimes and do only a further. So this was not that there was a business card hanging there in the Sanya's front office in Pune that go and contact so-and-so if you want to do prostitution. That was not the case, but it was happening secretly. And, but it was told to women by somebody who worked in the office. I don't know their names and so on. I don't care. It's so long ago. But that was the moment when I got, when I heard that, that I was very, very upset because I could have never imagined that it, it came actually from the Sanya's organization. Like, let's say instructions, maybe not instructions. I was never told like, hey, by a son, someone working in the Sanya Center, why don't you, look, you go and be a prostitute now. I never, nobody ever told me to do that. But because it was so commonplace, it was so normal and there were so many women doing it, I didn't think about it. You know, I thought, okay, I need to make money. But when I heard this statement from a woman that I had exchanged with, we spoke on the phone also, I was very shocked. And then she wanted to contact me also. And I, by that time, I hadn't written any statements in this social media group. But I had told her about my experience and that I was 17 when I started. She was like completely, she said, look, you were also one of the Sanya's kids. And I had never seen myself that because I had left home at 16 and I stood on my own two feet and I made my own living. I, you know, I considered myself a grown-up person as the age of 16. But it was like last year when this woman and another woman that I contacted because I wanted to find out certain things, she also said like, wow, you were just one of those ex-Sanya's kids, you were so young. 
this was the moment where I thought, okay, it was all a setup. There was so much pressure from the Sanyas organization to go and make money that people did whatever. People did drug smuggling, people sold their houses, people like everything that was said to me about when people join a cult, it was done. But I only knew about the prostitution thing, but I didn't think it was any, it was strange. For me, it was normal. But that was because I was so young. And so Amara discovers that she hoard herself out because she was led to it. Her statement receives more than 500 comments in two days. Other women confess having had similar experiences. She receives expressions of solidarity, respect. She is thanked for her courage. And she also gets attacked by Karen Sanyazin. The same community Amara has been loyal to for years, even after having managed to escape that trap and having gone through different professions, thanks to her strong will, working like a secretary, a therapist, traveling, dedicating herself also to social work, to the care of children and refugees. If she managed to get out of that experience, it's all thanks to her, because many of the Sanyazin women she met and that did the same job, she tells me that they got stuck there. And Amara also knows someone who died of AIDS. And so, this is the moment to ask her if she can forgive Osho. Osho, no. And it's very strange because it's still a process of me, like, here and there being very confused. I mean, I called myself Amara for 40 years, but there was already a process going on that I took more distance. Um, for sure, when my child was born, which was in 2008, and other stuff that had happened in another Sanyas community where I didn't feel treated in a good way, really I felt treated in a very bad way. And um, so I took distance from it already, but I still kept the name. Now I have a certain information also through the podcast of Dragon Lady, where, it, where um, Deeksha says it was very clear at some point that he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was a very good manipulator. And he was, it was always this talk of, yeah, I don't have an ego, I transcended my ego, and anyone who wants to reach enlightenment, you have to drop your ego. And this is all such a bullshit because there's hardly any man who has such a big ego like Bhagwan has because he was like hiding it all in this spiritual bullshit talks but he wanted people's attention so much he sat there in these talks and I enjoyed sitting it was a beautiful experience and I did experience silence profound silence and so on and so forth but what about his fucking 99 Rolls Royces and his watches it was all a big ego thing and showing off he was addicted to money so it's all that I can't forgive and at the same time, there's still meditation techniques I use that I find very valuable, that help me. Osho meditation techniques, I find it strange sometimes. Maybe people think, wow, if this man abused you so much, why would you even do a meditation that he designed? But yeah, maybe I've been into it for too long. And these things help me, so at least I got one good thing out of it. 
when I do certain meditation techniques and um, release stress, but uh, yeah. It is no shame to still use Osho's meditations, but as Diksha reminded us in Dragon Lady, Osho didn't invent anything. He just took other meditations, other techniques, and put them together, giving them a new name. And so many started hearing about him, from this or that friend, this or that relative, just like it happened to Amara with her brother. And if her brother hadn't taken her with him that day, things would have gone a very different way. Can I forgive my brother? Yes, I think he was just manipulated just as much as I was. Just he didn't do this shit work that I did. But uh, now read and seen a certain series also about like this Keith Raniere that had this cult called uh, NIXVS or whatever it's called, where you can see very clearly how when somebody has the intent of manipulating people, how it works. And I find that very shocking and confronting. And I think Osho did that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted money and fame, and that's what he went for, and people like me paid for it. Like many other people, Amara becomes aware of the cult when she compares it with other cults. We've learned that the mechanisms are the same. Her brother, like her, was a victim of a distorted and tricked common vision. Both of them reeled in by a dream too good to be true. It's only when she leaves and experiences the outside world that Amara starts to understand the mechanisms of that cult. It was a gradual progress, but I'm just realizing that the first time I realized that I might have been in a really abusive situation was in 2005, when I had lost a child, and at that time... I was also involved in that therapy institute where I have trained to become a therapist. And this whole episode in my life of to do with pregnancy and um, at the same time trying to keep being involved with the therapy institute was a really harsh time for me, especially when I lost that child through a miscarriage in the way I was treated by the staff of the therapy institute. That was very harsh and unloving and I was shocked. And soon after I decided to enroll to training to be doing social work and working with children instead of keeping going with the training of the therapy institute. People at the Therapy Institute were very angry with me that I wanted to stop, that I didn't want to continue being involved there and treated me really in a very hurtful way for me. And then when I um, spoke about it in my school, in my study for being a social worker, a teacher said, what happened to you? It sounds like it sounds to me that you were in a cult. So that was the first time that I let this come close to my thinking that, hey, maybe this teacher is right. Somehow, how they've treated me and how things have been going, this was really, it was not okay. And this is a typical way of dealing with me as someone who is not loyal to the cult anymore. 
So that was the first uh, step for me to withdraw from the whole Sanya's life. But I didn't do it like uh, completely. Both Amara's parents are dead. Her mother never knew her daughter's real job. Amara told her she had worked for a short time as a dancer and then she sometimes stripped. Amara tells me she's taken her mother's strong will, the fact that she never surrenders. But today that she's herself the mother of a teenager, she wonders why her mother never put someone to keep an eye on her. Why, when she left home, she didn't ask for the support of what in Germany is called the Youth Welfare Office, which takes care of all the reports of any family that needs help. Perhaps because Amara was with her brother. On the other hand, neither her mother nor her father were Sanyazin, so being outside the community, they could have seen that there was something strange. Especially the parent who had figured it all out. Can I forgive my father? Yeah, yes, because my father was a very loving man and I don't hold a grudge. He's died now. I have spoken to him about it. I don't understand. I can't. It just It's like a mystery to me that when you have a child and you know your child is doing stuff that can hurt them, that you don't interfere. But then, yeah, it was... I can see it was the, the, this attitude of my father and society in that time. He said also, like, yeah, I never really thought it was so bad because when you were doing it, you were also 18 and um, you weren't so young anymore. And there was this whole, yeah, experiment with your sexuality part, you know, that the Tantra, my father was into the, all these, he was interested in Tantra and he just thought it was like, uh, can't be so bad to, do, to have these experiences. Some might say those were different times, but the truth is, it's exactly the same times we're living now. So over the years, Amara transforms her many skills into something else. And yet, in all those years, there was something that didn't add up until today. It was a gradual process. I dropped my Sanya's name last year. That's when I made a clear cut for myself. So that is pretty much 40 years of my life as an official Sanyasin. For me, slowly certain things happened. I was very involved and I did a training to be an Osho therapist. They have like this training center. And I had also done a training in Pune. They called it the Rajneesh Counselor Training. I always want, you know, like in Sanyas, it was all about meditation and therapy and transforming your personality and growing as a human being, which is why it's so strange that there was all this uh, human potential growth movement and all this going on on one side that you should heal your inner child and there was workshops healing your your inner child and this and that and like thousands of therapy groups you could join to heal your emotions and your soul and at the same time there was like strange things like a lot of women doing prostitution or everything that happened in Rajishpuram and the collapse of the ranch and criminal acts so it's all happened together but especially considering the growing and the workshops, the emotional growth, 
I can tell you one example. For instance, there was uh, I had signed up for this course called the Rajnish Counselor Course. That it took three months and it cost a lot of money. It was in Pune too, so it was like in 1988-89 that I did it. And um, so I was earning most of the money with striptease. I didn't do prostitution, but I was doing striptease shows, live shows. And then the course started the first day we got together in this therapy group and these famous sannyasin therapists um, led the course. And they asked like, so tell us how did you make your money to pay for this course? Because I don't know, it was like 5,000 euros this course or something like that. So we were saying, all the participants, and some were, you know, psychologists, and some were so on. I said, yeah, I did, I did striptease. And they were like, oh, okay, interesting. And lately, I've been wondering also, like, I was at the time 22, 23 years old, and I did this fucked up work. I mean, okay, I didn't do prostitution anymore, but it was um, striptease, which... If you want to work with people and become a therapist and you earn your money to pay for the fees for this course, that doesn't go together. So there was already in the last 20 years or so that I started to have doubts and think like, that was strange. So maybe from my mid-30s, but I was still fully involved until 2005 let's say, because I was doing all these trainings. And then certain stuff happened there where I felt this is so not on. And then I just slowly withdrew. And then my child was born and I, th I moved back to Germany. I had been living abroad and then I moved back to Germany with my one-year-old son. And I thought, oh, I don't think I want to present myself when he goes to school and um, I have this Sanya's name and people will talk about and ask questions. So I slowly, slowly withdrew. Plus I didn't, you know, I was a single mom with a small child, not much money at the time. I didn't have time and uh, possibility to go to any Sanya's meetings. So it was a process of, let's say, from the moment when my child was born that I slowly withdrew. But for sure, I made a cut last year when I heard and read all these stories and listened to the podcast where I thought, like, no, that's it for me. Today, Amara is back to being Sabine. But it hasn't been a short journey. She also wants to say something to who is listening to her. Be aware if there's a person that says they know it all and they can... You know, of course, if you go and do therapist, therapy, it's one thing. And if it's like an official approved therapist that has his licenses, then that's a good thing. But uh, people who say who are not officially trained, I think you should be careful what you let yourself in for. And especially if there's like a kind of like leading person I've seen a few documentaries now and it's always the same. Like if there's somebody who is being portrayed as the guy who knows it all or the woman who knows it all, it, it's dodgy usually. But then I also know that their ways are often so manipulative, they can conceal themselves so well and put up this mask of 
you know, I'm only helping you. And if you join um, this workshop or you do this process and it will really help your growth, then hmm, it's a dodgy thing. It can happen to anybody. <laughs> But yeah, be aware. After our conversation, Sabine sent me a voice message, which is a sort of call to arms. Because thinking about the women who replied to her confession, what she wants is for this to not fall on deaf ears. If there's still other girls, other boys who had to keep all of this inside for all these years, well, there isn't a right time to free oneself. Also because one is never free from a trauma. But certainly the moment has come for their voices to be heard and heard and heard and for someone to take responsibility of what happened to their hearts and bodies. I leave you with Sabine's message. Something I would want to add to the information I gave already is the following, that when I wrote my story on a social media group last year, I got a lot of reactions from various women who also did the same or similar work as me. And there was, for instance, one woman who was the official leader of a sannyasin center, of a sannyasin commune, for a while, and she was working in the red light district while being a center leader. She was doing prostitution. Yeah. So that's something that also was so crazy for me to hear. And I knew also of at least one woman that was living at the Sanyas commune in my city, who for a while worked in the red light district. I don't know exactly what she did, but she was working there while living in the Sanyas commune. Then I knew women who had kids, at least one woman who I worked with when I was still 18. And she was already in her late 30s. She had kids. She was doing full-on prostitution. She was one of the ones who told me how to work and how everything works there. And she was with a partner, a sannyasin man, who had a teenage daughter. And I know that teenage daughter later. I don't know what she did when she was a teenager But later, when she was about 18, 19, she was also doing red light district work. So this whole thing, since I have had all this information last year, what I suspected in the years before was proven to me by all the reactions of the other women to my story that I wrote. And... Um, But there were hardly any women reacting who were as young as I was. There was one other woman who said that she started full-on prostitution when she was 19. She was earning all her money to go to the ranch. She lived at the ranch and they had a workers program. For sannyasins, they had to pay to be working at the ranch. I remember that from my city, that I had friends who wanted so desperately to be 
close to the master and they had this workers program and you had to actually pay quite a lot of money. I think it was like around $300 at the time and the dollar was high in that time. You had to pay to be a worker. So not only did you work for free, no, you were paying to work in America. So all this is crazy and I had this woman who was earning her money with prostitution to pay for being able to go to Rajnishpuram and work there so she can pay for working there. All this is so crazy. Another thing that shocked me was when I was young and working in one of these places, I saw a porno movie that was played in one of those clubs and there was a sannyasin woman that I knew she acted in this porno movie. And I know of more people, more sannyas women that I know personally also, who were doing porno movies. And all of these ways of making money and all of this in the so-called, yeah, we are so free and we liberate our sexuality is just so fucked up. And when I heard in one of the episodes of Soli about one ex-sanyas kids who said most of our sanyas kids became creative people. We were film writers and artists, but some really also got lost, got into drugs. We heard about that on Soli, and some started doing prostitution as early as at the age of 14. They went to Japan and made lots of money. So I'm very interested. Maybe that'll cause some reaction that I am talking about all that because it looks like I was one of the few who did that work when I was under 18. But now I heard in the podcast that there's others who were even younger. And that's very shocking to me. And if all of this is in the name of spiritual growth, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what was wrong with this movement, but something was completely wrong. I am Roberta Lippi, and this is Soli. You can listen to my podcasts, Dragon Lady and Love Bombing, on storialibere.fm and wherever you listen to podcasts. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Post and sound design era zero.